Well, this morning, I'm so excited. I really am, man. It, it just continued in a book of Nehemiah, and uh, we're going through our resurgence series. And this morning, we're going to be in chapter 8. So you want to go ahead and get your Bible out and then uh, find chapter 8 in the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to be talking about essential elements of resurgence. That's the title of today's message, Essential Elements of Resurgence. And so for the first half of the book of Nehemiah, you know, we've, we've been focusing on, you know, rebuilding the wall. That's what the whole part of the first part of uh, Nehemiah is all about. It's all about them coming back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the wall. And uh, so now we're going to see a transition from rebuilding the wall to beginning to rebuild the hearts and the lives of the people that were in Jerusalem. And, you know, I, I personally, as I talked about last week, I don't think the focus was ever really supposed to be on the wall. I mean, the wall was needed. Yeah, it was important, sure. But the main focus was not really so much on the wall it, because if it was, well, the book of Nehemiah, well, it could have ended right there in chapter 6 and we'd have been done with it. But it doesn't. It continues on. And so after the wall was completed, we see God beginning to do something even greater, even a greater thing than this monumental task of rebuilding a, a wall that extended you know, a mile and a half. And, and they, they were able to do this in 52 days. But after the wall was completed, again, we begin to see God doing something extraordinary. And I think the wall was really nothing more than a catalyst for what we about to happen, what we see in the book of Nehemiah. So here's my point, and this is important to know moving forward. They started building this wall in, in, on the Jewish calendar about August, okay? And so 52 days later, sometime around September, Nehemiah 6.15 tells us they had finished the wall. And this is not by some random chance, this was a God thing that we see going on here. The time of completion was on the seventh month, and so it's so significant that it was on the seventh month because this was the Sabbath month on the Jewish calendar here. And the thing is, you know, it, God had instituted these feasts through the law of Moses, and so this begins those feasts right there, the Feast of the Tabernacle. We'll get into that a little bit later. And, but in Leviticus 16 and Leviticus 23, we see where God gives these to Moses. He's handing down these feasts, these festivals to uh, Israel there. But the thing is, these things had not been celebrated in probably 70 years. Because if you remember, all of the Jerusalem, they were exiled into Babylon. They weren't there. So for 70 years, they had been in exile in Persia. And so maybe some of them would have known about these feasts and festivals. Maybe, maybe they uh, celebrate or at least acknowledge them in some form or fashion, but not in Jerusalem because they weren't there. They were exiled. So many of these people would not even have known what's going on here. So here's the point. Celebrating, getting back to celebrating these feasts just put a bright spotlight on the glory of God. That's what's going on here, the holiness of God, because that had been lost in Jerusalem. And these feasts help them to see, you know, their selves in light of God's holiness. We just got through singing, holy, 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 man. It, it, it helped them to, to be focused on what God was and all that God wanted them to be. So that's what these feasts were. This is why they were so significant. But as I said last week, man, it wasn't so much about the wall. It, it really wasn't. But it was what it was really more about is a true heart's resurgence in the life of these people. It was about a resurgence, no doubt, a renewal, a, a revival, if you will, in the hearts of people. So the physical wall had been rebuilt, but the bigger issue was the rebuilding of the people's hearts. And so that's what it boiled down to. It boiled down to a heart issue in the lives of the people in Jerusalem. 
That's what it always boils down to, by the way. It always boils down to a heart issue. It's just a matter of our hearts being right before God. It's really more about a resurgence in our individual hearts. I want to put something on the board today. Because if you change the heart, you change direction. Do you ever notice that? Man, when I got saved, my direction changed. Why? Because my heart had changed. Everything about me, man, everything that I used to do, man, all that had changed. My complete direction, I did a 180. I was going this way, and when God saved me, I started, oh, wait, there's something bigger in life. I'm going this way now. That's a direction change. That's repentance. That's what we see. But a heart change also will result in a behavioral change. When you get saved, man, you begin to act different. Do you not? Amen? I did. Man, totally, totally different. So you see a behavioral change, and you change the heart, then you begin to change the focus. Everything that you used to focus on before salvation, that all becomes, you know, I, don't even, I don't even care about that anymore. Your focus begins to change, and this is what we're going to begin to see in chapter 8 this morning. Through the rebuilding of the wall, their hearts were being changed back to God. And so we see their focus beginning to change. And this morning, I want to just point out eight elements Eight elements that are essential for a resurgence. Now, I don't expect you guys to remember all eight of them. I probably couldn't either. But here's the thing. I mean, if you'll just grab a hold of one of them, if you'll just grab a hold of one of these eight essentials, then, man, you're going to be sending your direction will change, your behavior is going to change, and your focus is going to change. So the first essential element that I want to share with you this morning Number one is a heart change. I've just already talked about it. A heart change is essential for, is an essential element of resurgence. So God here in, in Nehemiah 8, man, he's using Nehemiah to rebuild the hearts of the people, to draw them back into a right relationship with them. And that's where revival starts. It starts in your heart. It can't start anywhere. If it starts any other way, any place or another in your life, then that's not true revival. It's not a true resurgence. You, anybody here, uh, you're getting ready to date yourself, but anybody here remember those old tent revivals? Anybody remember that? I, I wasn't a part of that, okay, because I was uh, you know, as just a child, I remember riding around with my mom and dad, and I'd see these big old tents set up on the side of the road and chairs. There'd be a big old sign out there that says, Revival this week. I had no idea what that even was. But if, you know, if a revival happened in these big tent days, it, it wasn't because they rented a tent and rented some chairs for crying out loud. You know, I even got saved at a revival. At a Bailey Smith revival in 1988, Westside Baptist Church is where I got saved. But it had nothing to do with the building. It had nothing to do with all the people and the excitement of all that. It, it really didn't even have anything to do with Bailey Smith preaching except for the Word of God. See, the Word of God is what changes our heart. It's not the man. It's not the place. It's none of those things. It's when the Word of God pre is preached. Man, that's what gets a hold of our heart. It was the Word of God that was being preached that night. And even in my, my limited understanding, which I wasn't raised in church, I knew nothing about the Bible. That was my very first church service at the age of 33 I'd set in. But even my extremely limited understanding, man, the Word of God began to convict me and show me, man, something's not right in your life, man. You need to get that right. And I couldn't resist it. I found myself asking Jesus to come into my heart, and he changed my life. And Paul talked about this necessity to hear the word of God to, in order to be saved. He said in Romans 10, 14, I love this verse. It tells us, how then will they call on him in who they have not believed? 
Because before I got saved, I certainly didn't believe. How are they to believe in him who they have never heard? I heard about Jesus, but that's probably the extent of it. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Which leads us to the second essential element for resurgence. Preaching the word of God is an essential element for resurgence or revival in our heart. And we need to understand that this sound, it's all about the sound preaching of the word of God. Why? Because it's through the preaching, it's through the reading, it's through comprehending the word of God we begin to see a desire for our heart to change. Before that, man, we don't even see anything wrong with our lives. At least I didn't. But that's where life begins to change. And when people some come talk to me about their salvation, you know, and they said, well, I'm just not really sure if I'm saved. I said, well, let me ask you a simple question. Did your life change? That kind of nails it down. Because 2 Corinthians 5 says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become brand new. So if your life didn't change, you might want to check up. But even in the words of the Apostle Peter, it describes what corresponds in our lives to the building of the wall here in Nehemiah. There's a correlation going on to our lives and what's going on here in Nehemiah. In 2 Peter 1, 5-7, Peter's writing, he says, For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue, with knowledge and with knowledge, self-control and with self-control, steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. See, it's just not enough to say, well, I've got faith. Remember, remember we went through the book of James not all that long ago, and we learned that in James. James was saying, hey, I'll, I'll prove to you. I'll show you my faith by what I do. It will give evidence of what I say I believe. But we've got to add these qualities to our lives deliberately from the Word of God as we hear the Word of God. There simply is no other way to rebuild the walls in our life, guys. Man, you, you, can, you can practice what Dr. Phil says, and that will last about as long as his words, and you'll be right back to the same old game again. Why? That can't change the heart. Only God can change your heart. So in Nehemiah, man, it wasn't just about rebuilding some physical wall, but also it was about rebuilding their hearts back to God. And the timing of the completion of the wall was falling on the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. This is so huge right here. It's not by any accident. And this was a surefire indicator that this was far more than about the completion of a physical wall. In 52 days, but man, they were all desiring to hear the word of God. They were longing for it, which leads us to our third essential element that leads us to a resurgence in our heart. Hearing, hearing the word of God is an essential element of resurgence. This also leads us to our text this morning in Nehemiah chapter 8. So I would ask that you would all stand in the honor of reading of God's word. And I'm, I'm going to read Verses 1 through 12. And by the way, this is the text where we get this from. This is why we stand in honor of the reading of God's word. This is the text where it comes from right here. We stand in honor and reverence of God's word. Starting in verse 1, it says, And all the people, everybody say all. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel that's amazing to me. Ezra, bring the book. Don't be rolling up in here without the book. They want him to bring the book. Verse 2 says, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. 
both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early in the morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. When it says those who could understand, it's talking about children of the age of understanding. So there were men, women, and children, probably most likely beyond the age of 13. That was considered the Jewish age of, of uh, children to be able to understand. And so here we go again in verse 4. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform. And they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mathaniah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaiah on his right hand, and Pedaiah, and Mishael, and Merakiah, Hashem, and Hashbanadah, and Zechariah, and Meshulam. In Jesus' name, I made it through the pronunciations. I was sweating it, trust me. Verse 5. And Ezra opened up the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. As he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord and God and the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jemin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peleah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read the book of the law and the, and the law of God. Clearly, they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading in verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest, described, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to everyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying be quiet for the day is holy do not be grieved and all the people went their way eat and drink and to send portions to the, make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them let's pray father god we come to you lord and we're grateful this morning to hear your word father god i pray you only speak through me lord god i pray father that lord we would just use your word to understand you more this morning and have a greater desire and a greater passion father to know you more lord so would you quiet our hearts and help us to be attentive to what your word is speaking to us today in jesus name amen you may be seated so in verse one we see this large gathering that's been going on the, the crazy thing is there's no invitations man these people just start showing up we don't see anywhere where, you know, there's a notice given. But what we do see is the people were showing up, man. They were hungry for the answers in life. I think that's the big question today, man. I, I just want to know what are the answers to this life? What, what, what am I supposed to do? What does this mean? But they were hungry for a word that, and possibly many of them had never even heard of it again. They were exiled Jews. You know, maybe they didn't understand it. We really don't know about that, but what we do know is they were come, had come exiled from Babylon to Jerusalem 
And for 70 years, just think of how many people would have been there and had never even heard about the Word of God. And maybe they maybe had heard something about it in, in, in traditional sense, but they didn't really know the Word of God. They were born in captivity, many of them. But just like many people today, most people own a Bible, right? Or have one in their house. But how many people actually know the Word of God? There's a big difference between knowing about the Bible, knowing things about the Bible, and knowing the Word of God from reading it, from consuming it, from looking at it and meditating on it and experiencing it and applying it to our daily lives. So many of these exiled Jews, man, they would have been exposed to some understanding perhaps of the first five books of the Bible. Most likely that's what Ezra is reading here, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. The first five books, we know it as a Torah, which means is the Hebrew word for instruction. We also know it as the Pentateuch, which, which is the Greek word. It means five scrolls. But it's obvious from our text today that many of them didn't know or understand the Word of God. That's why it's being explained to them. That's what we see here. So in this amazing chapter, we first see that these people were unified. I mean, unity is a beautiful thing, is it not? They were being there. They were unified, and they wanted to know what God had to say about their lives, which brings us to our fourth essential element. Unity is an essential element of resurgence. Why? Because unification of the church body is such an encouraging thing. If you've ever been a part of a church that wasn't unified, you know it's not a very encouraging thing. It's not, it's not something we want to experience. Look at verses 1 through 2. In all the people gathered as one man. This speaks of unity. Into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses and the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. So they were all unified in being hungry for the word of God. They were just dying to hear it. I mean, it wasn't like today where you have ministry leaders and pastors just begging people to, you need to read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. It wasn't like that, that they were coming wanting to, Ezra, in case you forgot the book, go back and get the book. We want to hear from the book. They were dying to hear the word of God because they were all unified in that. And the sad thing is today, man, it, when it comes to reading the Word of God, we, we, we live in a time today where there's just so many distractions. It, it's amazing the things that, that will distract us in everything. I mean, one, one of the biggest things is that, that thing you either have in your pocket or your purse, that cell phone. <laughs> one time, Stephanie and I, we went to a restaurant. We were, we were out to eat, and um, there was a family over there, a man, a woman, and a, and a, and a girl, young lady and a young man. Looked to be about the age 15 and 16, and all four of them were sitting at the table. <laughs> we looked at this, that's about the saddest thing I've seen right there. And they were, man, they were just going out, and they were just, as soon as their food got there, they ate, but before that, man, it was just, it was just all this. And I'm going, man, that's a sad commentary right there, because 25 years ago, that would have been a much different scene. They'd have been talking to each other. In fact, a friend of mine not too long ago, he he kind of uh, put a joke on Facebook. He goes, hey, everybody come over to our house tonight at 6 p.m. and we'll all sit around and stare at our phones. And we laugh at that, but that's the truth, man. It's pretty much where we go. I have the unique ability to ignore my phone. Drives my wife crazy. 
I do, man. I don't know. I'm so blessed with that. I'm so glad I was just addicted to that. But don't get me wrong, man. I love Twitter and all that, and I, I sometimes get myself in trouble tweeting stuff out and responding to stuff. But for the most part, man, sometimes she'll come and say, hey, your phone's over there blowing up. You haven't looked at it in three hours. I'm like, sweet. I don't know, you know, it's just, a, it's just one of those things. When I need it, I need it. I could do real fine with a flip top. In fact, if I ever stop pastoring, that's probably what I'll go back to. I'll go, I'll go back to a good old flip top, man. Just put that thing in my pocket or throw it on the dresser. And if I get to it, I get to it. If I don't, I don't kind of thing. But now Christianity, I, I, we say stuff like, uh, I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray, you know, before I get up and go to work and this kind of thing. But we'll, man, I tell you what, we'll certainly pick up our phones in the morning off that nightstand going, you know, what's going on? What did I miss? You know, uh, tweeting stuff out, you know, whatever. See, we become like foxes and hedgehogs. Do y'all know the difference between a fox and a hedgehog? You, you see, the fox, you know, that's like the poster animal for ADHD, that dude, he, ha he has a tension span of about that long. When he comes out of his burrow, he can be starving. He's like, man, I'm going to Johnson's farm to get a chicken out of the chicken coop. But on his way to get the chicken, the dude, the dude he'll, he'll just cruise off something, something gets his attention over here and go, well, what's that about? And then on the way to check that out, something else gets his attention. He's going, well, what's that about? And he just does this thing all day long, man. He just can't stay focused. Eventually, maybe he gets a chicken. I don't know. You see, a hedgehog's different. That dude's laser focused. When he comes out of his burrow, wherever he's coming out of that burrow to do, that's what he goes and he does. He does it, and he comes straight back. He's laser focused, man. And I'm telling you, there's so many things that, that are biding for our attention today, and we've got we to gotta be mindful of that. It's an easy trap to fall into. And obviously, this kind of thing went on back in biblical times as well, because look what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. He goes... Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Here we go. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. So this speaks of the importance of a unified church. And I hear some Christians say stuff like, well, I don't have to attend church. I can just do my whole relationship with God thing all by myself. And when I hear people say that, I want to say, well, read your Bible. Where do you see isolation in the Word of God? I don't see it anywhere. I've never seen where, you know, you can practice this private relationship with God apart from God's church. And Paul uses this metaphor as a body to describe how we are different parts made up in the church collectively. But what we see here is commitment in verse 2. It tells us they all showed up. Man, I bet the buzz on the street, the chatter on the street was like, hey, man, you, are you showing up on the first day, seventh month? Yeah, yeah, man, I'll be there. Trust me, I'll be there. I'm not going to miss that for nothing. But sadly, we, we live in a time and a day where that's just not the case so many times. Notice how Ezra the priest, how he appears for the first time in the book of Nehemiah. Thirteen years prior, he had led the second wave of the Jewish exiles out of Persia to rebuild the temple and to teach the law of God. So at this point, they had the temple. They had a place to, to, to gather, but now the people had finished the work on the wall as well, and they were desperate to hear the word of God, so they send for Ezra to read the word of God. They were unified 
in that decision. They gathered before the water gate, verse 1 tells us, and for good reason, because they couldn't gather all at the temple. Only men were allowed in the temple. And so we've seen in our text today that there were also women and children that there. So this water gate, it was like the perfect place. And whenever the word water is used in the word of God, it speaks of this idea of cleansing. It speaks of this idea of the word of God. So it's by no by accident they were at the water gate. But they all had an expectation. They were all unified that, man, something huge is getting ready to happen. And they wanted to make sure they were going to be right there, right there in the middle of it. And the, and the day we reach this point in the church today to where on any given Sunday, only two-thirds of the people show up. Now, given we're going through a COVID thing, and, you know, we'll cut each other some slack on that. But typically, only two-thirds of the church will show up on any given Sunday. That means that one-third of the church chose to do something else that Sunday. And I was even talking to a friend of mine the other day. They just recently uh, planted a church, and they're approaching their two-year-old uh, birthday. And he was telling me, I asked him, well, how's it going? He goes, man, well, other than COVID, it's going pretty good. He said, man, we're grown up to about 100 people. They started this church as a Bible study in a, in a, in a uh, home. He said, man, we're up to about 100 people. But then he said, that's if all 100 people showed up at one time. He says, typically we're running about 65 or 7, but every now and then we'll, we'll have a Sunday where everybody shows up on the same time and it's great. And sure, there's a legit reason to, to, to not to come to church every now and then when we're out of town or we're sick. And again, with all the COVID and everything that's going on with that. But aside from that, man, we need to be committed to hearing the word of God. It matters in our lives. And I've often said that your view of God determines what's most important to you. Think about that. Your view of God will determine what is most important to you. Because you ha if you have a low view of God, uh, this isn't going to matter a whole lot to you. You'll wake up in the mornings and you'll blow right past it. Or whatever that time is that you, it works for you to read God's Word, you'll blow right past it. Why? Because you have a low view of God. But see, when you have a high view of God, just like these people in the text today, man, this is Ezra, bring the book. It's kind of that attitude. It's like, man, you desire this so bad. You don't want to go through their day without hearing this word. That's a high view of God. That's what a high view of God does for us in our life. It, it, it helps us to have that consistent prayer time and, and corporate worship and being here this morning with fellowship with believers. It's awesome. And we long for that. See, that's what we see going on here in our text today. And then in verses 3 through 8, we see the example given to us that, man, they were hungry. And they listened with great anticipation. They wanted to comprehend the Word of God. And that brings us to our fifth essential this morning. Comprehending the Word of God is essential for resurgence. Look at verses 3 through 8. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early in the morning until midday. I wonder if we could get away with that today, from morning till midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra stood on a wooden platform, and they had made that for this purpose. And beside him stood Mathani, Shemai. And Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masaiah on his right hand. So he had these guys, some standing on the right hand, some standing on the left hand. On the left hand was Pediah, Mishael, Micaiah, Hashem, 
Hashbenanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. We're not really sure, but perhaps maybe they took over at some different points in time and gave Ezra a break in reading the Word of God. We really don't know, but they had these guys up there. I mean, it was just such a visual. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Sherebathani, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites. These were the guys on the ground. These were the guys that were circulating around explaining in the smaller groups what Ezra was reading to them. They were hungry, man. They had to have these guys there to explain the word of God. It's such a beautiful thing. It said it helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave sense so that all the people understood the reading. And they were hungry for the answers to their problems. That's what we see here. And just like today, man, we need those guidelines from the Word of God to keep us straight. But with one accord, they gathered in this great square before the water gate. And they asked Ezra again to bring the law of the Lord and read it to him. This indicates a tremendous desire for these people to know the truth. And that's all they wanted. They, they listened while they stood for like a really long time till daybreak, then till noon. And so certainly this long attention span, these were hedgehogs right here, by the way. They had that long attention span. It indicates how deeply aware they were the absence and the separation of the relationship with God. And they, they realized how much they needed the Word of God in their lives here. And they not only were asking to hear the Word, but they wanted to understand it so that they could apply it to their lives. You cannot apply what you do not understand. So there must be a comprehension going on. And the great assembly of people had arrived at a place in their lives and they began to understand the Word of God and they began to see, man, God's got all the answers to life's problems. Funny how it is. We'll go looking for all kind of way. We'll go, we'll go talk, talk to people in this person and get that advice, that advice. And that's all well and fine. But guess what? You know, God created you. Who knows you better than God? God has all the answers right here in His Word, man. We only need to just go look and find it. Sure, we need maybe help people to, to help us see in the Word of God the, those areas in, in the Word of God that applies to our life or what we're going through. Yes, it's what biblical counseling is all about. But God has all the answers to our problems, and here we see that. The, when the Word of God is open and is explained, people begin to see themselves in light of Scripture. That's the whole point. And this is the great truth about Scripture. And the tragedy of our day is that how few churches understand the power of the Word of God. And man, many churches and even denominations this day and time have replaced Scripture with modern-day talking points and ideology. And they kind of sprinkle that a little bit with Google search, cherry-picked verses. Someone like they pogo stick through the Bible and find Scripture to match their talking points or the ideology. And it's a dangerous thing. It all sounds good, but man, all it does is tickle the ear. But verse 8, it demonstrates the centrality of the word in this gathering. And here we learn how careful these people were to make clear the meaning of Scripture. 
It's called discipleship. That's what was going on here. In verse 8, it's just this clear statement of a church, how it ought to be conducted. Discipleship matters. I mean, that's why small groups in, in discipleship is crucial for church growth. Verse 8, it says, and they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave sense. They understood it. They comprehended it so that the people understood the reading. Man, this is why expository preaching is so crucial. And never get away from that. It's not the preacher's word. It's God's word. The preacher is supposed to preach God's word. We can't ever lose sight of that right there. The primary business of Christians is to understand the word of God so that we begin to apply it to our lives. And more importantly, we begin to image God so that when people are looking at us, they're looking at a picture of God in the sense that, man, that person's right. They mean well. They're willing to help. They're willing to do what it takes to help other people. And it's so important to understand that. But a really cool thing that we see in verses 7 and 8, and some scholars feel that they were breaking into small groups here where people could ask questions and have them answered. And I believe that as well. But they would listen to what Ezra was reading, and then they would gather in these smaller groups. And the Levites, that lesser group of people that I read to you, their names, they would give explanation to the passage and the people would ask questions and discuss it and men it just seemed like an excellent way to bring instruction to the people so they clearly understood but it's not only important to know what scripture says we have to know what it means you can hear stuff but what does that mean what does that mean for me? That's where explanation is so important. That's where small groups and discipleship is so important. So in verse 9, we begin to see the sixth essential that we need. And that's the conviction of sin is an essential element of resurgence. The impact of the Word of God that it had on these people who heard it, they began to grieve over their sin. Did you pick up on that? Look at verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Why? Because they were broken. They were beginning to hear things that like, man, I, I didn't know that was wrong. It's kind of like me when I got saved, man, before I got saved. <laughs> Going off and getting, you know, drunk and hanging out with my buddies and doing all the crazy stuff with it. It was just having fun. I didn't see any of that as sin. Are you kidding me? We're, we're no, no harm done to people. We're just out having a good time. But then in light of God's word, as I began to learn and hear the word of God preach, I began to see myself in the light of God's holiness. We sang about that earlier. All of a sudden, a conviction started to happen in my heart. And it was the weirdest thing because I really no longer wanted to do those things that I used to do. It's not that I couldn't have done something. I just didn't want to. And I began to get convicted under the Word of God. I'll never forget the first time I heard my very first tithing method message. I, I didn't even know what tithing was. I mean, that's how ignorant, that's how unchurched I was. What, what's tithing? What's he talking about? But Harold Hudson was up there preaching about tithing one morning. I'd only been saved about six months, and I'll never forget. I remember just like it just happened yesterday. We were leaving the parking lot, and he, he, he preached out of Malachi where he said, how will you rob God in your tithes and offerings? And I looked at Stephanie, and I looked at her, and I said, I'm a God robber. 
I've never tithed. I didn't even know we were supposed to do that. She goes, it's okay, baby. I've been tithing on, off your income. You're safe. I'm going, good enough. But that's what the Word of God does. As we begin to hear the Word of God, it brings light to our sinfulness, and we know that we need to change because you know what? It's like oil and water, man. Sin doesn't mix. Sin doesn't mix with holiness. And so you become to know God more and more and more and more and more. And yes, it's a process, sure, absolutely. But the closer you grow to God, the more the things of the world just seem like, I don't even care about that stuff anymore. And so they all saw the beauty of God in light of their ugliness. And this is always the ministry of Scripture to the human heart. They saw that sin in their culture and society and, and even as individuals came from the pride and arrogance of their own life. This is exactly what Jesus talked about in Mark 7, 20 through 22. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And even though that weeping and, and brokenness is an absolute necessary and important for a resurgence, for revival in your heart, the good news is, this is the really good news, it's not the final message that God has for us. It's not the final message that God has for us in His Word. It's not even the final message that God has for us in His text today. Because what God has for us is what we're going to see next. It's the seventh essential element for resurgence joy joy is essential guys man without that we <laughs> life's going to be pretty miserable but joy is the essential element of worship to show this nehemiah and ezra they begin to speak up and they correct the people they're broken over their sinful lives and everything but look in verse 10 he says and he said to them go your way eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to everyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved. Here we go. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. So the Levites, they calmed all the people saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to, and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that was declared to them. Man, what a powerful statement to the effect of the Word of God has on our lives. Because when people begin to understand it, yes, it brings conviction. Yes, it brings brokenness over our sin and what our sin has produced in our lives. But that Word also brings joy. And the reason why it brings joy is because of forgiveness. Man, Biblical definition of forgiveness is choosing never to hold you accountable. God casts our sin, our sinfulness, as far as the east from the west. See, it's not that God forgets. God doesn't forget anything. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. But he chooses never to hold us accountable. That's the biblical definition of forgiveness that's a beautiful thing whenever i'm in marriage counseling i, I have to remind people that you because you can't say you forgive somebody and then later on bring well you always <laughs> that's well i thought you forgave me see that's not forgiveness 
Forgiveness is choosing never to hold anybody accountable, that you never look at that anymore, man. That's what God is doing here. God can and does forgive. He restores us back into a right relationship with him. That's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 5, 4, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Because if your sin, you get to the place and your sin makes you sick, that's a beautiful thing to God right there. Blessed are they to mourn. That's what it means. And I don't think you can ever be comforted until you first mourn over your sin first. And when you grieve over sin, then you're ready to be comforted with forgiveness. And what does the joy of the Lord mean here? What is this? What is this? What's going on? It is the fact that God has a solution to our sin problem. It's through a restored relationship with himself through the forgiveness of sin. See, that's why the death of his son on the cross was so important. Because it paved the way for us to be able to have that kind of relationship with a holy and righteous God. Notice in verse 12 how Nehemiah urges the people to stand or to send portions of food to those who had nothing prepared. This is invariably the result of those who find their lives beginning to change. All of a sudden, others matter to you. Caring for others all of, a, all of a sudden become into the picture. They start out thinking of others here, and they wanted to share what they had, and they wanted to share what they had learned. The way of spiritual health is dramatically demonstrated for us in the closing verses of this chapter. And this brings us to the eighth and final essential element for resurgence in our heart. Number eight, obedience obedience it all boils down to obedience guys obedience is an essential element of resurgence because you won't go very far in your spiritual life without it i can guarantee you that obedience is required verse 13 to 18 this is where they begin to recognize the feast of booths and the or the feast of the tabernacle that was simply remember when the uh when the children of israel when they came out of egypt and they were going through the wilderness the, the, the festival of the tabernacle or the, or the, or the booths was this idea of making these huts. It, it was a representation of God's provisions, of God's protection. That's what we see going. They're reinstituting it in Jerusalem here. It says in verse 13, On the second day, the heads of the fathers, the houses of all the people and the priests and the Levites came together with Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. That's what's going on here. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hills and bring branches of olives and wild olives and myrtle and palm and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. And so the people went out and they brought them and made them booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in their courts of their house of God. And in the square of the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For, the, for from the days of Yeshua and the son of Nun to the day of the people of Israel had not done so. See, we see it in Scripture. They had not been recognizing these feasts and festivals that were com commanded by God and given to Moses. 
And day by day, and for the first day and the last day, he read from the book of the law. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. You see what they were becoming there? Obedient. They were becoming obedient to the word of God. You cannot become obedient to what you don't know. They were hearing and they were receiving. They were responding and they were applying the word of God. That was obedience. The Feast of Booth, the tabernacles begin to be celebrated. And they begin to understand to remain obedient to God's word. And that God would provide for them from there on out. So God's law had been revived in their hearts. It's impossible to experience a true heart revival without obedience to God's word. So that's my encouragement to you this morning. I think that's the encouragement. What we get out of the book of Nehemiah in this chapter is that man, desire this, guys. Desire it like nothing else. Because if you will, it will change your life. It won't be perfect, but i tell you what, man. It will change your life to the fact that people will begin to notice there's something different about you. And that's the beautiful thing. When people see there's something different about your life and they begin to ask questions. So that's chapter eight, man. It's been a fantastic. And obviously there's so much more in there I could have, I would have loved to have been able to unpack, man. I could, you could do a whole message series on just chapter eight alone. But I, I hope you get at least one of these eight essentials to apply that to your life and begin to experience a true heart resurgence in your life. Because we can all grow from where we're at. Some people are here, some people are there. But man, I'll tell you what, we all need to continue to grow. Amen? Amen. Well, it is the third Sunday of the month, and this is where we typically uh, take communion. So I hope you got a communion element as you came in. And everybody got one? Anybody need one? Back there. Somebody just, yeah, there you go. He's got it. Thank you. Anybody else? Raise your hand if you need a communion element. All right. Well, as we're getting, I, I don't know of, of a better way to help us experience the joy and obedience than remembering what Jesus has done for us. And we've got so much to be thankful for. And this is what communion is all about. It's just remembering that and being thankful of what God has done in our lives. So here's what I want to do, guys. I'm going to give you a couple of moments, a couple of moments of just silence, just to reflect on what Jesus has done for you and, and even perhaps even confess any known sin in your life. So I just want to give you a couple of moments to do that right now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 26, Paul is writing here and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In verse 25, he goes on to say it. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray, Father, you would just remind us, Father, as we've talked about these eight essential elements that we need to apply to our life. God, I, Lord, I pray through the week we just look to apply just one of them. Lord, I pray, God, we just desire more than anything to know you and to know you more. and to, Lord, increase our desire for your word, God. Lord, we want to make you the biggest thing in our life, God, and we need help doing that, Father, because we're so easily distracted by the things of this world, Lord. So, Father, we, we ask you to help us, God, and to draw near to us, Lord Jesus. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.